It's very good to be with you again. I was here about three weeks ago, many of you might remember, with a man from the country of Guinea in West Africa uh, named Joel as well, and he shared with you a little bit of his story. And I thought for this service I would start um, by mentioning him and another person that I've had the privilege of working with in Africa because they both illustrate something that I hope gets brought out in the message this morning. Um, Joel, as I mentioned, works in the country of Guinea, which is about 90% Muslim. It's a very poor country, and it's where the recent Ebola um, crisis has erupted. And in the 90s, Joel began to wonder and ask questions regarding how can Africans in Guinea begin to think about mission. Um, we've received missions as Westerners have come to our country and have shared the good news with us, but we live in a country with many Muslims, and many people here have never heard the good news. Shouldn't we as African Christians also begin to embrace mission and begin sending people as missionaries? And a few people heard his whole story, but not everyone did. And I just want to repeat something that I think is really crucial. Joel eventually gets himself sent by his African churches as a missionary to Muslim people in Guinea. And he moves with his family. This is in 1997. And he plops down in the middle of a Muslim group and begins sharing his faith. And to get himself sent was a huge challenge. Because African leaders were saying, look, Joel, we receive missions. We receive missionaries from the West. We're too poor. God won't use us as missionaries. The Muslims don't like us anyway. This is not going to work. But because he was persistent, he continued to believe that God was calling him as a missionary, and eventually he got himself sent. And Joel's first two years on the mission field were very difficult. He shared his faith with many people. He wasn't very well funded. He lived in a difficult situation. And year after year, when the pastors got together for their annual conference, they would say, Joel, we told you this wasn't going to work. Now you've been on the mission field. And year after year, he had to report that he still had no converts. And those voices, those haunting voices would come back. We can't do missions. God's not going to use us. We receive missionaries. This is not going to work. And one day, uh, the Lord directed Joel's attention to the village crazy man that was sitting on a trash heap. He had collected all kinds of trash. His clothes were ragged and dirty. And... Joel sensed the Lord calling him to get off his motorbike and walk across the trash heap and start a conversation with the village crazy man. And to make a long story short, that person eventually becomes a Christian, and um, his life has changed, and that's the first person, and then others start coming to the Lord. And so this is a big breakthrough moment for a poor little African community. They begin to see that God can use us. Sure, there are obstacles. Sure, it's a Muslim country. Sure, everything is arrayed against us, but God is sovereign and God is calling us. God can use us to make a difference. And um, I want to pose the question today, why did that Joel, who was here a few weeks ago, what gave him a different perspective? How come all the Christians in his country during that time thought mission was impossible? And how come the Muslims among whom he was living also believed that uh, these African missionaries are never going to make an impact. What made Joel different? What gave him a different perspective? I want to tell you another story about a man named Simon. 
I first met Simon in um, 2003, and Simon is from the country of Rwanda. And I know that several people here have been to Rwanda, and many of you know that in the 90s, uh, a horrific thing happened in Rwanda as Hutus were killing Tutsis and vice versa, and it was one of the bloodiest stories uh, in recent history. Well, Simon is a Hutu, and Hutus were killing Tutsis, and Simon is, is a Christian, and he had a different perspective of everyone around him, and he began hiding Tutsis in his house, but the number of Tutsis trying to hide in his house got too big, and Simon realized that he was in a real mess because people were going from house to house uh, looking for Tutsis to kill them, and they would also kill Hutus who were hiding Tutsis in their house. And so Simon, uh, with his family, decided they had to flee. And so Simon and his family and a large group of Tutsis started traveling at night. And then during the daytime, not to get caught, they would climb up in trees and try to hide and sleep in trees until it got dark again, and then they continued their journey. And he led, like Moses, a large group of people that would have been killed out of Rwanda and into Congo. And so... Uh, I met him later. He's moved to West Africa. He came to our missionary training school. He started a church in the country of Togo that sends African missionaries to Muslim peoples. What makes Simon different from everyone in his generation? Now in 2014, in Sterling, Massachusetts, what's going to make us different than our generation? What's going to make us men and women who believe in God and who refuse to have a filter through whom we see the world that's built only by the skeptical media around us, or that's built by the bad news we hear from our politicians? What's going to make you a different person in this generation? What's going to give me the eyes through whom I can see my world, and the eyes through whom I can see the mess in my world, and the obstacles in my world, and the violence in my world, and the Islam in my world, and still believe that God is calling me to make a difference. There's a man named Stephen that God tells us about in the book of Acts. And if you have your Bibles, I'd invite you to turn to Acts chapter 6. You'll notice in your bulletins there's also a yellow sheet that has way more than I can get into today But the good news is you can take it home, and maybe even if I don't touch on it, you can read it later, and God can speak to you. God finds in the book of Acts a man who has a different perspective than those in his generation, a man whose heart has been shaped by Scripture, a man who sees the lost through the eyes of Jesus, and he doesn't allow the worldview of his day to hold him back. He believes in God. He believes that God will use him to make a difference. Now, Acts chapter 6 tells us about Stephen the man. And Acts chapter 7 gives us Stephen's message, his sermon. It's actually the longest recorded sermon in the book of Acts. Now, the book of Acts gives us the Acts of the Apostles, how the Holy Spirit is working in the disciples' life, in the apostles' life, but it's interspersed with messages, with sermons. And a lot of them come from Peter or Paul. But the longest one we have in the book of Acts is actually from Stephen, And I want to look at these two side by side because I believe we can better understand the man Stephen when we also understand him through his sermon, through the things he said. We can learn from him as a person, as an identity, and we learn that in Acts chapter 6, but we learn even more about him and his worldview as we see his message. So if you look on the first side of your sheet, that's called not an ordinary busboy or alive to God 
Adventures of a Winsome Radical, I just want to highlight a few things that we can learn from Stephen. And I think I'll read this passage, and I won't read the one on the second sheet, but again, you have it and can refer to it as we go along. Now, in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 1, verse 8, God shows through Jesus' message to the disciples what he is going to do in the book of Acts. And he says, wait, don't go on mission yet. You need to have power from on high. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. Why? So that you can be my witnesses. You can be my witnesses. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. So wait. Wait until you receive the Spirit's power before you go. But that geographical designation, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth, is actually an outline of the rest of the book of, the, of Acts. And the first few chapters, chapters 1 through 6, show us the Spirit's activity in the city of Jerusalem. And then in 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, we have a big transition period in the book of Acts. And the good news is going to burst forth from its confines in the city of Jerusalem, and it's going to go into Samaria and to Judea. And once Paul is converted, especially, we will see Paul taking the good news to the ends of the earth. Now, their world was smaller than ours, and a lot of the continents weren't even known or discovered at that point. But Paul will help take the gospel to the far reaches of the then-known world. And so Stephen is a crucial figure, a person that God is going to use. God is going to realize that Stephen has a different perspective from the people of his generation. Stephen is someone that God's going to be able to use, and I want to see why. Why can God use Stephen? How is Stephen's life different from the others of his society, of his generation? And how can you and I be challenged by him to become that person as well? Now, I've just been back for a few weeks. I normally live in Africa, and I'm not very well versed in uh, modern uh, life in America. But one of the things I continually confront, no matter where I am in the world, is this feeling of Christians who feel like we can't make much of an impact in the world. Everyone's against us. The media is against us. Politics has somehow gone awfully wrong, and we can't be the kind of people we need to be anymore. And somehow no one will listen to our message. And somehow all around the world, the part of the world I live in is mostly because of Islam. Christians are fearful, except for my friend Joel, who I brought a few weeks ago, and Simon, the vast majority of Christians don't know how to be the light that they're called to be in a Muslim context, a world filled with violence and difficulty. But I don't think it's very different from us here today. A lot of us here, we believe in God, and we want to have an impact in our world. But it's very difficult when we sense that the world is against us and politics is against us and the news is always bad and we can't live for Christ like we used to in this dark and broken world. And so I think, Stephen, the lessons we can learn from his life could be crucial for us today. Let's look at Acts chapter 6. I'm going to read from 5 to 15. I've skipped a few places here to be able to fit it on my handout. I'm going to read from the handout. Please follow along. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith, And of the Holy Spirit. Now, Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, did wonders and miraculous signs among the people. Opposition arose, however, from the members of the synagogue of the freemen, as it was called, Jews of Cyrene and Alexandria, as well as the provinces of Sicilia and Asia. These men began to argue with Stephen, but they could not stand up against his wisdom or the spirit by which he spoke. 
Then they secretly persuaded some men to say, We have heard Stephen speak words of blasphemy against Moses and against God. So they stirred up the people and the elders and the people of the law. They seized Stephen and brought him before the Sanhedrin. They produced false witnesses who testified, This fellow never stopped speaking against the holy place, against the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs Moses handed down to us. All who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at Stephen, and they saw that his face was like that of an angel. The first part of this passage talks a lot about Stephen. And the second part talks a lot about the Jews. You will notice that the Jews are the subject of almost every sentence in that second half of the passage we just read. And the first half gives us a description of who Stephen was. And you'll notice that every time Stephen's name is mentioned, his spiritual life is mentioned as well. We don't know anything about what Stephen looks like. We do not know how tall he was. We do not know where he bought his clothes. We do not know what his favorite TV show was. We do not know if he played Xbox. We do not know if he had a Wii. We do not know if he had uh, an Apple computer. We do not know what kind of phone he had. We do not know where he did his banking. The Bible doesn't seem very interested in talking about the description of what he looked like or the kind of toys that he played with. But Scripture tells us a lot about his spiritual life. And you'll you'll notice that every time Stephen is mentioned in this passage, uh, Luke feels compelled to tell us that he was a deeply spiritual person. Luke tells us, hey, he was a man filled with wisdom. He was a man filled with the Spirit. He was a man whose life was saturated with Scripture. And and every time his name is mentioned, that caveat seems to be added as well. Filled with grace, filled with power, filled with the Spirit. And Luke knows, as he's starting to record this history of the early church, that that part of Stephen's character and who he is, his deeply spiritual life, his life saturated with Scripture, was much more important than where he bought his clothes or what kind of computer he played with. Now you'll notice that Stephen is an interesting figure. Because up until now, uh, in the New Testament, God's been working through Jesus as he teaches and does miracles. Jesus dies on the cross. Jesus rises from the dead. Jesus goes back into heaven, and he gives a very important commission to his disciples. And in a sense, what Jesus tells his disciples is, the mission that I have is your mission. And what you've seen me doing you will do as well. As the Father sent me into this broken, angry world, so I am sending you. But now when we get into Acts chapter 6, we realize the work is growing. The work is too big. It's about to burst out of Jerusalem. And the disciples are all concentrated on prayer and the study of God's word and the teaching of God's word. But mission work is more than that. There's widows that need to be fed. And the gospel's about to burst out. They need more workers for the kingdom. And so they choose certain men to begin helping in the work. And one of the fascinating things here, as the gospel is about to break forth out of Jerusalem, the people that are chosen are not whom we might have expected. They're not necessarily like the apostles. In fact, the people that are mentioned have Greek names. And it could well be that they were Jewish people that had lived so long uh, in a Greek culture that they're called the Hellenistic Jews. And we see that God is beginning to use other people. He's beginning to shatter our expectations. He's beginning to grow cross-culturally. And to go cross-culturally, he's going to start handpicking men and women whose lives are saturated with Scripture, 
men and women like Stephen that he's going to be able to use as we go into this new culture. And so Stephen is one of the people that's picked. Now, I can't get into all the details here because I'm trying to give you two sermons wrapped up in one. But I just want you to notice here that that last half of the chapter, I want you to pay particular attention to how much Stephen has begun to look like his Savior. How much Stephen and the characteristics that are used to describe him and the ways the Jews will treat him look very much like Jesus and how he was treated. In fact, that whole second half of that chapter, the Jews are secretly persuading, they're saying untrue things about him, they're bringing up false accusations, and they're taking him out of the city to kill him. And all of that looks strangely like what happened to Jesus Christ. And we see that Stephen, because he walked with the Lord, And because he was filled with God's spirit and he allowed his life to be saturated by God's word, began to be a real Christian. He he began to be what you and I have been called to be. He had a different perspective from those in his generation because he was walking closely with the Lord and he was spending time in prayer and he was allowing his life and his perspective to be shaped by scripture. Now, if you turn over, we can learn also about Stephen from the message that he preached. And I'm not going to read it here, but you have it, and you know God's word. And I just want to highlight a few things. The Jews were intimidated by this universal gospel. The Jews did not know what to do with a Messiah who was coming for all peoples. They wanted Jesus to be the son of David. Oh, son of David, they often said. And Jesus wisely would retort, the Son of Man. And what Jesus was often doing with his disciples and the Jews of his day was not only associating with David, King David, who was the leader of the Jews, who sat on the throne, that wonderful king uh, against whom all the other kings of Israel would be compared to. He was saying, hey, you know, I am from David, that's true, but I'm a son of man. I go back to Adam and Eve. I've come as a savior for all people. I'm not only... I didn't only come in the line of King David. I came as a son of Adam and a son of Eve because sin is a universal problem. And all who are born in the world since then are tainted by sin. I've come with a heart for all mankind. And so Jesus is going to very subtly start shifting the attention and the focus of a Messiah coming only for Jewish people to a Messiah who's come for the whole world. And so Stephen has somehow picked this up It's fascinating, isn't it? Because Stephen's not going to have the New Testament. Stephen doesn't have much access, actually, to God's Word. Uh, Computers haven't been invented yet. The printing press is going to come with Gutenberg 1,500 years later. And so access to God's Word is a huge challenge in the world of Stephen. Stephen might have only heard God's Word when he went to the synagogue. And and books of the Bible were these big, um, I'm thinking of the French word, big scrolls that would open. They're not very convenient. You don't download them on your cell phone and listen to them as you're driving. It's a complicated world. And yet Stephen's message shows us that his life and his heart have been transformed by Scripture. Somehow this man who has very difficult access to God's Word has allowed that Word to change who he is. And I think that's awesome as we see this, and it's a challenge for me and a challenge to you. As he preaches, he's interestingly highlighting All the times God was at work outside of Israel. He says, look, God called us back when we were in Mesopotamia. 
And then God leads us to Egypt. I was reading this again last night, and I started counting the references to Egypt, and it's something like 15 or 17. He's, he's constantly reminding the Jewish people that have him on trial that day, God is at work all around the world. God was at work in Mesopotamia. God was at work in us when we were in Egypt. And God is at work with us now, even as this good news is going to burst forth from our little confines where we're experiencing God and our little people group here in Jerusalem. God has a bigger plan, and it's not a mistake. Go over to Galatians 3, verse 9, just really quickly. And this is something that Paul is going to pick up on in Galatians, and it's a problem for Peter and the early disciples. The idea of who this, who this gospel had come for. And it's such a surprise to the Jews. And it has to be reiterated again and again uh, in the good news. I look at Galatians 3, verse 6. Consider Abraham. He believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Understand then that those who believe are children of Abraham. The scripture foresaw this, that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. Wow, this is a a life-shattering verse, this verse 9. All nations will be blessed through you. What Paul is saying in the book of Galatians, hey, you want to know why I'm leaving Jerusalem with this good news and I'm tramping all around Turkey, I'm trampling around Greece trying to plant churches? This isn't new. It's not a mistake. This was good news was announced to Abraham. Well, who's Abraham? Abraham's the man through whom God started this whole thing. Abraham is the man that God chose to start the Jewish nation. That's the beginning of his plan of redemption is Abraham. And, and what, a, what Paul is saying is, hey, this whole thing about the good news being for everyone, it's not a mistake. It's not an add-on because the Jews were somehow unfaithful and so God changed his plan mid-course. This is the good news from the beginning. It was announced to Abraham from the get-go. All nations will be blessed through you, Abraham. That's the good news is what Paul is saying. And so Stephen understands this. Stephen's saying, hey, you know, God was at work in Mesopotamia. God was at work in Egypt. You have hardened hearts, he's going to say at the end of his message. God wants to do so much more through us than we are able to understand and conceive. That's how, <coughs> that's how Stephen was different from his generation. The people that would put him on trial wanted a God that they could tame. They wanted a Jesus of Jerusalem. They wanted to keep uh, the good news there for the Jewish people in Jerusalem. And Stephen's aware that God's doing something bigger. And he's aware that God is doing something bigger because he's different from those of his generation. He doesn't let his worldview be shaped by the culture around him. His life is saturated with scripture. And now he's asked to give an account and he can stand up and he can quote verse after verse after verse and go through the history of how God has worked with his people. And he knows that God is calling him to be different. God is calling you to be different. And God is calling me to be different. But how different are we? The way you see the world, and the way I see it, is it through eyes of fear? Have we let the media shape the way we see the world? When we see Islam on TV, are our hearts filled with fear? Are they filled with hate? Are they filled with anger? When difficult things happen to our family, how do we interpret that? How do we understand that? And when we try to make a difference in our cities for Christ, and when we try to be 
witnesses in our school systems. And everything seems arrayed against us. How do we see that world? My friend Joel and Guinea saw the world differently. His life was saturated with Scripture. He saw the world, he saw the possibilities, and he dared go. And Simon Peter in Rwanda saw the world differently. He knew that Hutus and Tutsi shouldn't be killing each other. And he took a risk. He took a chance. He hid people in his home, and he walked them to freedom. And Stephen realized there's a bigger thing going on here than the Jews clinging to Jesus and making him only their Messiah. God wants to burst out of Jerusalem. God wants to change the whole world. God can do it. I'm not going to let the media change my mind. I'm not going to let religious skeptics change my worldview. I'm going to see the world the way Christ does. And the only way I can do it is because I've saturated my life with Scripture. How into Scripture are we really? Let's be honest. Everything is more interesting than Scripture. I love baseball, and it's hard for me to follow baseball. I don't know what to think about baseball after this last week, but that's another story. I get excited when I follow baseball. But reading Scripture seems ho-hum. And I don't know what it is for you. I don't know what other little passions, the little fox destroys the vine, we read in Scripture. I don't know what's happening to our generation of Christians. But God is looking for a Stephen. God is looking for a Simon Peter, and he's looking for a Joel. He's looking for men and women whose hearts and minds have been shaped by God's word. And there are so many interesting things in the world today that distract me from my Bible reading. I I give a cursory glance at Scripture, but I feel like I know it. I've read it before. It's nothing new, but what happened in the game yet last night? And I don't know if anyone here is resonating with this, but I, I wonder if our impotence at changing our world has something to do with our lackadaisical view of Scripture and discipleship and obedience. Here's one thing I think that we can see all over the pages of Scripture. When God reveals himself to someone and they take a risk, they believe and they obey, they are putting themselves in a position to be used by God again. And when they hear God's voice and they know what God wants them to do and they are not obedient, they're going to make it difficult for them to hear God's word in the future. And I believe that God wants to use this church to change this part of Massachusetts. And I believe God wants to use me to change the worlds where he takes me. But I don't believe we're ever going to do it because we're creative enough or because we're wealthy enough or because we have enough gadgets. We're only going to do it if we're listening to his voice and taking risks and being obedient. We're only going to change our part of the world if if we come back to God and say, I need you. I need you more than I need my computer. And I need to spend more time in your word than I do watching all those TV shows I like so much. Because my life needs to be transformed by God. And my perspective needs to be his. And there's so many other inputs coming at me from this crazy world that I'm never going to be the man that God wants me to be if I'm filling all my extra time with all this other stuff. It's great stuff. It's fun stuff. But sometimes the gifts that God gives us become more important than the giver. And I think Stephen was different. And I want to be like Stephen. And I hope that someone in this church wants to be like Stephen too. Let's pray. Dear Lord Jesus, when we look honestly at our lives, we know that we don't really reflect the life change that you would have for us. Lord, we, we're sad, but we're, we're also courageous, and we believe that today is a new day, and tomorrow's a new day. 
And we can make little decisions that will have a big impact in our lives. And I pray for the people in this church, and I pray for my own life, Lord, that you would help us to take spiritual things, more important ones. I pray that you would make a significant change in my life. And I pray, Lord, for each person in this room, that you would make a significant change in their lives as well. Help us to be men and women who are different in our generation, men and women who hear your voice and who act obediently, even when the world is all against us and it doesn't make sense. We thank you, Lord, for your goodness and your grace. And we pray this in Jesus' name.